When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardell pushed him over the edge. Mm, I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 161. The Corona Open J-Bay, stop number nine on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, finished in South Africa over the weekend with Lakey Peterson and Felipe Toledo taking top honors and Matt Biolis and Team Mayhem Surfboards leading the Visla CT Shaper rankings ahead of the final event of the year in Tahiti. The Shiseido Tahiti Pro, presented by Outernown, the last regular season stop on this year's championship tour, will determine the WSL Final Five, who will compete for the world title in September's Rip Curl WSL Finals. The Shiseido Tahiti Pro starts on August 11th. First, though, we will get to watch the Wallex U.S. Open of Surfing presented by Pacifico at Huntington Beach, the fourth of six stops on the 2023 WSL Challenger Series schedule, with surfers looking to qualify for next year's Elite CT. The Wallex U.S. Open of Surfing begins this weekend and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right. Episode 161. We are back with my part-time co-host for this season, where we run through winners and losers from Jeffrey's Bay, provide the final update on the Visla CT Shaper rankings before determining the 2023 winner in Tahiti. We answer listener questions and much more. We had a lot of fun on this podcast and hope you enjoy it. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. A good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the way. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. It's up here, boxing. All right, we are back with the Lineup Podcast. I'm Dave Prodan here with my part-time co-host for the season, Mitch Salazar. Mitch, I think this is the first event in a while that neither of us were actually on the ground for. We got to throw our sleep patterns off by watching the Corona Open J-Bay through the night here in California, but we did it. We experienced what many are calling, and I'd have to agree, the best day of surfing all season on the penultimate day of competition, just firing Jeffrey's Bay for the world's best surfers. It was awesome. We witnessed Felipe Toledo, reigning world champion and current WSL number one, claim his third title at Jeffrey's Bay. He looked incredible. And we saw Lakey Peterson, who's been 
a perennial title threat pretty much since she qualified, but someone who hadn't won a CT event since 2019, and she's been surfing so well, claim a win as well. And it really felt like something clicked into place for her. There's been shakeups in the hunt for the WSL Final Five. There's an intensity building with one stop to go in the 2023 Visla CT Shaper Rankings battle. There's a lot to unpack. So Mitch, um, where to start? What are your initial takeaways from the Corona Open JBay? Well, first of all, the dominance of Felipe once again at Jeffrey's Bay was very notable, Dave. Uh, an excellent event on his behalf. He was actually averaging a 16.65 heat total, which means more than two weights per heat. And he peaked in the final 18.76 heat total, the highest heat total of the event. And I mean, what a performance, dropping a 9.93, nearly a 10, an excellent surf wave for him. But then you look at the average and the consistency that he had throughout his five heat surfed, he was untouchable. And even Ethan and Ewing making back-to-back finals there at Jeffries Bay. It just wasn't even close, so huge performance by him, but also Lakey Peterson moving up a couple of spots in the rankings. Caitlin Simmer still in number five, but Lakey Peterson moves up to number six, Dave. Things are shaken up to the last event heading into, the, into Tahiti. 100%. I'm so glad you brought that up with Felipe because he's the reigning world champ. I, I, I think that in spite of everything he's accomplished, he still doesn't get his due. You know, if you think <laughs> back over the last like couple of decades that like really canonized surfers at specific spots, you know, whether it's Mick Fanning at Bells Beach or Andy Irons in Hasegore or Kelly Slater at Pipeline, you know, Stephanie Gilmore at Snapper Rocks, the list goes on. You just have these moments in surfing history where a surfer and a venue line up so perfectly and they're so, so dominant. And for someone like Felipe Toledo, especially the way he came onto the tour and the weapons he had at his disposal, I don't think anyone then would have looked at places like Jeffrey's Bay, you know, a, a point break that lends itself to uh, a high pace rail surfing, power surfing approach and go, he's going to be the guy there. And I think it's just remarkable that he's evolved into that kind of surfer in addition to all the other strengths that he's he's been able to generate as well. Yeah, the due credit is definitely one thing that I still feel that uh, Felipe doesn't get as well. I fully agree with you on that sense. And I think it's because the lack of Gabriel being in the final five mm -hmm. last year. And, you know, he didn't defeat him in 2021. We all saw that, but it was he had two really close matches against him. And then he left absolutely no doubt against Idolo in the final matches last year at Lowers. But what I see so far is a guy that's looking to go back to back. And I just don't see anybody touching him once we get to lower trestles. There's been many different waves that he surfed over his career so far in Jeffrey's Bay. And I feel like this year there was just another step above that he took, Dave. In 2017, I still think he has the best perfect 10 we've ever seen in competitive surfing history. The two alley-oop waves, he combined that with some radical surfing on the rail after he finished both alley-oops as well. 2018, he wins that event. And now you look at 2023 and what he's done in the six-year span difference. He's evolved as a, as a person, as a human being and as a surfer as well and man we're looking at an athlete that is as good as it gets and he's looking to qualify for the olympics which he actually just clinched this spot too dave big performance from him here in south africa huge one well let's not delay it any further let's get into our our opening segment uh the universally celebrated winners and losers mitch why don't you open us up well, my first loser, Dave, is, you know, one that comes with 
a lack of emotion. And I feel like it definitely was noticeable in the competitive scene. And it's the lack of real su substantial performances by the local South African surfers mm -hmm. in the event. Sarah Baum making the quarterfinals. She won her opening round heat, yes, but wasn't able to defeat Carissa Moore. That's still a good performance by a wildcard surfer, though. So we got to give Sarah Baum some credit. But Aiden Mason Camp didn't really perform the way he wanted to, being awarded the local wildcard spot. Jordy Smith had one excellent heat in the elimination round, but wasn't able to make it past the round of 16. That's a two-time champion we're talking about at Jeffries Bay. But also Matt McGillivray, the one local boy from Jeffries Bay, wasn't able to make it past the elimination round. And I'm just considering how good the waves were, Dave. That, to mm -hmm. me, is really the key to success to these local surfers doing well. We had the one epic day of competition, which I think has been the best day of surfing so far this 2023 season. And unfortunately for these surfers, they weren't able to capitalize on good conditions at home. It's a good point. And, and interestingly, because I, I went with a similar grouping for, for my first loser. And this isn't just specific to J-Bay, although I think J-Bay is kind of another proof point. But my first loser is actually just the Australian males on tour outside of Ethan Ewing, whom I'm sure we're going to get to in a minute. But, you know, at the start of the season, things looked really promising for the resurrection of the Lucky Country males, right? You've got Jack Robinson with an awesome lead throughout the first half of the season before getting injured, heading into Margaret River. You've got surfers like Ryan Callanan, Liam O'Brien, and Connor Leary. They continue to put up inspired performances, many of them getting good results here and there, but this group hasn't consistently threatened en masse in the way that I think it could have because the talent is absolutely there. And then depending on the conditions we get at Chopu, there's surfers like Jack and Connor and Ryan who could all be threats. I'm unsure about Liam yet, but it's not to say he can't do it. I just haven't seen too much of him in those kind of conditions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think there was a potential across, especially the last you know, two or three events for the Australian kind of men on tour to really make inroads in, in, roads in the rankings as a group. Um, I do like what I'm seeing there in terms of talent, but yeah, I, I want to see some other kind of generational threat to come in and, and, and tackle the Brazilian storm to make things interesting. And I think they have the potential. No doubt. I mean, you talk about Jack Robinson gets his best result in a few events, makes the quarterfinals here at Jeffries Bay, made the final last year, comes up against Felipe in the quarters, and obviously that's a very tough heat coming up against the eventual champion. But you're right. I mean, the Australians, they definitely have what it takes to be winning events. But besides Ethan Ewing, there isn't anybody representing that country that's in the top five. Ryan Callanan's number 10, Jack Robinson's number eight, and Connor O'Leary's number 11. They still have a lot more to prove, mm -hmm. especially with Tahiti coming up. And moving into my second loser, Dave, this is actually one that I thought, um, you know, was a bit heartfelt personally, but mm -hmm. um, being a goofy footer, both of us, this one hurt. And it's Tatiana Wesson-Webb because she's our defending champion at the event. She came into this event number six in the ranking. She needed a big result heading into Tahiti to be able to close that gap and minimize it between her and Caitlin Simmers, who was number five going into South Africa. And Tati just ended up losing in the elimination round, unfortunately, with good waves, too. And I thought she was going to be able to pull off a good event here, but drops down to number eight. She's really needing a final appearance and for everybody else to do bad in Tahiti. Well, you and I are totally aligned. I actually had Tatiana as my second loser coming out of Jeffrey's Bay as well. Everything you said, you know, at Cosign, she looked great at Surf Ranch with a third. She looked really good at El Salvador before mm -hmm. falling ill and missing her quarterfinal heat. Then you have an elimination round loss in Rio, which is her home country. 
followed by another elimination round loss at Jeffrey's Bay, where, as you pointed out, she was the defending event winner. She has a huge point of difference, being one of the few goofy footers on the women's field. She loses to Stephanie Gilmore, which is a tough draw, but... It's now looking unlikely for her and another Rip Curl WSL Finals berth this year, unless things go her way in Tahiti, which to be clear, that's a wave she could win at. But I'm just, I don't, the sense I'm getting is there's a little bit of a spark missing for her, which is really like one of her greatest strengths is just that energy she has around her, the energy she brings to her surfing in heats. And I don't know if it's been injury. I don't know if it's been the illness or just the pressure mounting throughout the last couple of events, but yeah, it's just a bummer. Cause I, I love it when she's on and it just feels like something's not clicking for her. Right. Especially at a Rayhan point break when the mm. waves are good too. She's won a Margaret river. She was the defending event champion at Jeffrey's Bay. I was hoping for her to do better here. And speaking of people that I thought were going to do better, I thought the rookie class or the youngsters mm. were going to be able to do better. Those are my third loser. And, uh, the whole pack besides the engine teal, he was the only person to make the quarterfinals or have a finals day appearance, but real wide, round of 16, Matt McGillivray been on tour for a couple of years, but hasn't really had that one standout performance on the CT so far. We're all the young kids, even Liam O'Brien too, came up against Kanoe Garashi, somebody who hasn't had a consistent result and base so far in 2023, but wasn't able to make things happen there. And even Caitlin Simmers on the women's side, coming into number five in the rankings into this event, ends up losing in the elimination round in a must-win scenario too, being number five and the only person who hasn't clinched her spot on the women's side to qualify for the Rip Curl WSL Finals, Dave. Lack of experience as Jeffries mm-hmm. Bay was, was noticeable, especially on the good days too. That's interesting. It does feel like there are certain venues on tour where historically, you know, every time a new generation comes onto the tour, you know, whether it's a pipeline or a Sunset Beach or uh, a Jeffrey's Bay or a Bell's Beach, right? There are venues where experience probably scales or, or over indexes in terms of importance because they're just waves where there are particular challenges that if you haven't been there a lot, it's going to be hard no matter how talented you are, no matter how paradigm shifting your own surfing may be. And for somewhere like Jeffrey's Bay and the pacing of that wave and not going too fast, not going too slow, being able to understand it, it's a challenge, I think, for the younger surfers, but I think you're dead on the money in terms of um, them losing out on an opportunity there. You know, for my my third loser out of Jeffrey's Bay, I'm actually going to go with a little bit of a relative pick on this one. Relative in the sense that she didn't do super poorly, but didn't do as well as she probably needed to. And that's the queen, you know, reigning eight-time world champion Stephanie Gilmore. I yeah. think she had a missed opportunity at Jeffrey's Bay. Between her free surfs, her early heats, like her form is insane. I actually think she is surfing better than ever, which is saying something given how well her, she's done throughout her career. Um, and, and I do truly believe she could very well remain one of the best right-hand point break surfers agnostic of gender on the planet right now. Um, and as I said, you know, quarterfinals, fifth, it's very respectable. She went down to Molly Piccolo. Molly looked excellent. But I think this event was one that she needed to capitalize on to put herself in a better position to threaten a top five position heading into the final event of the year, which is at a venue, which is a bit of a wild card for most surfers on tour, which is Jopu. So, um, yeah, Steph's my my last loser coming out of uh, J-Bay, even though she made the quarters and looked insane all of that. <laughs> 
Yeah, but a quarterfinal result on the women's side ain't going to cut it, you know, for how small mm-hmm. the tour is on the female side and, and yeah. how few people qualify for the Rip Curl WSL finals. You really need to be making the semifinals or better. And that's where I think Molly Picklin's result, even making the finals, she has several of those this year. Man, she has looked consistent and beating somebody like Stephanie Gilmore in her first year competing at Jeffrey's Bay, too, is something pretty crucial to her result so far this year. My first winner, Dave, and a good friend of mine, somebody that I really look up to, and he looked on point. His best result so far this year was Kanoe Garashi. Semi-final finish for him in, in Jeffrey's Bay. He's done that before. But looking at his 2023, when you compare it to 2022, he ended up number five in the world last year. And this year, he's outside of the top 10 still, but moving up a lot of spots, jumping, knowing that Tahiti's a good event for him where he garnered a good result last season. He just looks so much more different. Brilliant surfing, I felt. Good decision-making, but his boards looked on point. I really have to attribute a big part of this result to the time zone that he was in. Mm-hmm. Resides mostly in Portugal now during the off season, and it's basically the same time zone. It just felt like his body was aligned the whole time. But I will say there were a few days of competition that he wasn't feeling 100%. He was a bit ill, but it just came down to him wanting it. It seemed like he really wanted it at this event. Yeah, it's interesting how that that's often a recurring theme, you know, whether it's an injury or an illness. And I think sometimes there's so many variables in surfing, whether you're free surfing or competitive surfing. And sometimes I think when you get sick or when you hurt yourself and you're a little bit hobbled, it quiets so many of those distractions down in the water, in your heats, and you just focus on the the next thing you have to do, which I think is a real strength for a lot of people in surfing. And, and I, I saw that in Kanoa as well. I think it's a great pick. And I think Jeffrey's Bay for him in particular, it's a pretty special spot. I think if you go back a couple of years, this was the first event where he swapped from Channel Islands to Sharpie, and it really took his surfing to a different level and put him on a path to you know winning his first CT event, um, you know, within the next couple of seasons and being a threat. He's had a a pretty uncharacteristic year for himself results-wise, so it was awesome to see him back in form. You know, my my first winner um, coming out of Jeffrey's Bay, I'll get a little bit emotional, but it's just... like South Africa in general, you know, and, and I think between the Challenger Series event in Belito, which I, I enjoyed every day of, and the CT event at Jeffreys Bay, it is just a great reminder of how quality the surf is in that country and how quality the surfers are, you know, and watching the free surfs and watching, you know, the surfers in the heats, even though, as we talked about, maybe they underperformed in the championship tour event. And a couple of weeks ago, we brought up a similar point in our Watersheds episode about Jordy Smith's maiden CT victory at Jeffreys Bay in 2010. And that point was that for as good as the surf is in South Africa or Africa in general, which is something that was profiled really, really well uh, in in the opening episode of season two of Stab's How Surfers Get Paid, which was about Grant Twiggy Baker, and that aired last week. So if you haven't checked that out, I, I highly recommend it. But yeah, just like how good is the surf in South Africa slash Africa? How good are the surfers there? And this disconnect between that and their numbers and presence on the global stage, which is largely due to geographic isolation and challenging financial situations. But it's such a special place. And I think the CS and CT events this year really reminded the surfing world once again of just how special the region is to all of us. I, I, I really I was feeling it um, across the last couple of weeks. Yeah, 
So was I. I thought Belita was great. I thought they had consistent waves throughout the entire event, too. Big congrats to Cole Hausman again, by the way. I mean, that's a massive performance, two wins in a row for him. And he's basically qualified for the championship tour for 2024. Nice to see they were going to have another American surfer by the end of the year on the CT again. But uh, my second winner, and just to really clarify how important this was to do it mm -hmm. right here rather than wait for the last event, the mm -hmm. people that qualified for the Rip Girl WSL Finals and clinched their spot on the WSL Final Five. Molly Picklin on the women's side. She makes the final here at Jeffries Bay, her first time competing. Felipe leading the rankings. It was kind of surprising that he wasn't able to clinch it in Brazil with the early exit over there. But how about Ethan Ewing, too, man? I mean, mm. that guy really is the full deal. He moves up into second place, knocking down Griffin Colapinto, who also clinched his spot at this event in number three in the rankings right now. That can still change heading in the last event in Tahiti. But, man, Dave, the waves were outstanding. The surfing was, was outstanding. How fortunate are we to be able to see the best surfers in the world really do their thing? Um, probably one of the most perfect waves on the planet, too. It was awesome. And, you know, for my second winner, I'm going to cheat just a little bit here. We, we, we've <laughs> talked about already, you know, Felipe Toledo, the reigning world champion. He's been incredibly dominant all season. His surfing, as, as we mentioned, it's, it's kind of unimpeachable at this point. And you can tell that by the way his fellow competitors talk about him. He, he's really on another level which is not an easy thing to do when you have the target of being reigning world champion on your back. Um, so he's obviously a winner for a lot of reasons, but I said, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to backdoor my selection on this one. <laughs> and my second, my, my second winner from Jeffrey's Bay is actually going to be Ethan Ewing. Um, you know, re referencing that watersheds episode from a couple of weeks back, Pat O'Connell joined and we were talking about how Jordy and Jay Bay and Jordy and Bells have for such a long time being really considered peak performance surfing at those spots. But at Jeffrey's Bay this year, I think, and I think we've been seeing it for a couple of years now, Ethan's rail-based power surfing at right-hand points, it really stole the show, um, including during his round of 16 heat against Jordy himself, you know? And I think there was an energy where it's like people are like, we expect Ethan to be dominant in this heat. He was dominant. Jordy surfed really well, but it didn't really feel that close. And I guess that's why I think Ethan's a winner. It's like his surfing has jumped so much to the point where he is the benchmark in conditions like that. And I think he's the surfer to watch now in the power surfing space, which, which just looking at the level of talent across the tour is such a radical thing to prove to everyone. A hundred percent. And I think the maturity that he shows, too, mm. and the poise. I mean, going up against Jordy Smith, a two-time champion at Jeffrey's Bay, and the only person to have a perfect heat at J-Bay, too. Yeah. And we need to really state that because for Ethan Ewing to go up against that guy, a guy who's 35 years of age, has been on the championship tour for 16 years now and defeat him the way he did it. As you said, it was way closer as the numbers say, but realistically, you look at it and, and there was a big difference in what they were able to do on the beautiful canvases of Jeffrey's Bay. And that's leading into my third winner. And I think really the, the thing that we need to stand out most during this episode were the conditions that we had at Jeffrey's mm. Bay. I know finals day was a bit slow towards the end, especially with both finals. But the one day that we had that was super long, running overlapping heats, 
it delivered. It was as good as it gets. I think the best day of comp- uh, of competition so far for 2023. And just look at the numbers. Look at the numbers that people were posting. People were losing with 16, 17-point heat totals. The yeah. heat between John John and Connor O'Leary, the wave coming down to it. At the end, Connor gets the score. It's a high eight. Next thing you know, John John's out of the running for a championship at Jeffries Bay. He, got, he gets knocked down in the rankings, too. Like... This is really what the Dream Tour is about, having the best conditions with the best surfers in the world perform at the highest level of surfing, Dave. It's a great point. And I haven't mentioned, you know, my ongoing loser from the year, La Nina. It's but let's face it, it's been a tough season for us conditions wise. And I think a lot of that has to do with we're in this transitional cycle between La Nina and El Nino. I think that's thrown some of the rhythms off both on tour and off tour for a lot of us at surf, but yeah, well, um, final winner here. I, I, I similar, but I, I think it's all of us. It's the surf fans. We got the best day of surfing so far this season in the penultimate day of competition. As you just mentioned, we had WSL final five clinches. We had provisional Olympic qualifiers and a very, very tight battle for the remaining Rip Curl WSL final spots on both the men's and the t- women's tours right now heading into Tahiti. You know, if you're looking outside the bubble right now, but the surfers that are within striking distance, Gabriel Medina, John John Florence, Jack Robinson, Leonardo Fioravanti, Ryan Callanan, Connor O'Leary, and still Italo Ferreira on the men's side. And then on the women's side, Lakey Peterson, Stephanie Gilmore, and Tatiana Weston Webb. So, it's all going to come down to the end of the road in Tahiti. I hope the swell delivers because the stakes are very, very high. Okay, let's put it this way. There is barely any separation between Gabe and Yago right now. And the only thing that's standing in Gabe's way is if Yago ups him in the next event and the final one too they're close in the rankings they wouldn't be able to match up until the final i believe but i mean that could be a dream scenario especially for goofy footers we need to have one more in there i know a lot of people want john john florence to qualify for his first ever rip curl wsl finals that could potentially happen we're just crossing our fingers dave that we get some swell in tahiti and that it's pumping just like it was last year I love it. Well, that's winners and losers from the Corona Open J-Bay. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, 
and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, now it is time for an update, uh, the final update, really, on the Visla CT Shaper rankings before we determine the inaugural winner for 2023. Shaper A quick reminder, this season's Visla CT Shaper rankings are measuring the performances of the world's best surfers, counting quarterfinal or better results, and assigning those results to the surfers' corresponding shapers. It's combined rankings, men's and women's. The higher the surfer places, the more points the shaper receives. And we've been tracking the Visla CT Shaper rankings from event one at Pipeline, and we will do so through event 10, the next event in Tahiti, and crown a winner before the Rip Curl WSL final. So when the dust had settled on the Visla CT Shaper rankings post-Corona Open J-Bay, we still have Matt Biolis and the Mayhem team holding down the number one spot heading into the final stop of the regular season. I think that's actually three events in a row now for Mayhem. But both DHD and SharpEye, both their programs had very strong showings of their own, making it a pretty solid three-horse race for the 2023 Visla CT Shaper of the Year honors. There's 97,900 potential points still up for grabs in the final event of the season. And we've seen that a lot can change event to an event, and we'll see if it actually does in Tahiti. But Mitch, what did you take away from the board builders and the surfboards that the world's best surfers had under their feet out at Jeffrey's Bay. Well, first of all, we need to give a big applause to Marshall CV once again, making some incredible boards for three-time champion Felipe Toledo. He's looking incredible. DHD getting some points on the board with both runner-ups, Molly Picklem and Ethan Ewing in the finals. But I really want to give props to the leader of the ranking so far because the Vizla CT Shaper rankings is all about who ends up on top. And it's been Matt Biolas from Mayhem so far. A lot of quarterfinalists are better in this one. Ian Gentile making the quarterfinals in his first event ever at Jeffrey's Bay. Big shout out to Yagodora once again getting a good result here in the last two events of the season. But on the women's side, though, Gabriella Bryan, Carissa mm-hmm. Moore, and Caroline Marks doing their job. It's been the consistency, Dave, of these surfers heading into the quarterfinals or better. And especially with already having somewhat of, you know, some surfers being on their home ground in San Clemente mm-hmm. for the Rip Girl WSL finals too. I think that's going to be huge for him in terms of, you know, promoting the brand a lot more, even though it's a local brand. A lot more people are going to be aware of how good these boards are that this person is shaping. It's a great point. You know, it's, it's, we've been talking about it for a while. And I think what's been interesting in this final stretch of the season is when you look at team size versus actual performance and delivering results. You know, we've been saying all season long, you know, with the inaugural Visla CT Shaper rankings, 
it's a great opportunity for us to discuss and celebrate all the shapers and their respective board building teams, the glassers, the sanders that support the world's best surfers on tour. But in terms of program sizes, it's definitely not apples to apples, right? We've talked about it all year. There's kind of three general tiers to these rankings. um, And it's better to view the programs within each tier as kind of competing with one another respectively. So it's not super surprising that the three teams competing for the 2023 Visla CT Shaper of the Year title are three programs that have been in kind of tier A with the most robust teams all season. What's interesting, though, is when you look at these programs, it's not just a numbers game, right? Like post-cut Both Mayhem and DHD have had six surfers uh, across the men's and women's CTs on their boards, and they're one and two, respectively, at the moment. Sharpeye, who's been really impressive all season, you've you've had the right call out, especially with Felipe winning yet another event, but they actually have nine surfers on their team post-cut. So when you look at it, despite Mayhem having 33% less team riders right now than the Sharp Eye program, his surfers have all been collecting counting results post-cut. You know, on the men's side, you've got Griffin and Iago, um, and then the recent addition of Maui's Ian Gentile, and then you've also got Carissa, Caroline, and and tour sophomore Gabriella Bryan, who we talked about in the last episode. I I think one of the most interesting things in the last few events has been Gentile, who moved to Mayhem starting in El Salvador, and it's been like a real value add on these rankings with a third in El Salvador and a fifth in Jeffreys Bay as a rookie. You know, so any thoughts on on that? Just team size versus having, you know, the right surfers performing and collecting results. Right surfers all day because you look at what Gabe's been able to do over the last few years and with Cabianca, sure. a much smaller shaper, much smaller brand, relatively unknown too, but he's big in Europe and especially in Spain where he resides now. That's a big deal for him, just having that kind of exposure, having those people that are on top the whole the entire time, especially during a long season to be able to promote the brand, things like that. Just diversify things in the end is really what's going to get you good results. And I feel that for Team Mayhem so far, they've been able, they've been able to have a different set of wheels in every single event, too. If you look at Gentile's best results, they've both been at point, at point breaks. One right. at Punta Roca and then one here at Jeffreys Bay. Good result in Brazil, too. But when you look at overall good performances, those are the two best for him. Caroline Marks, you know that she's a very consistent surfer at any kind of break, but finally gets her first point break win at Punta mm. Roca earlier this season and another great result at Jeffrey's Bay too. But I think just overall, I'd rather have performance over size. You look at Team Sharp by what they've been able to do over the last few years and especially garnering more athletes on the championship tour as well. I still think that there's not enough focus on the people that maybe there should be more focus on. Felipe has his own his own shape, has a couple of them actually. Kanoa has his own shape now. What about Jack Robinson? He's down to number eight in the rankings. Is he really getting the right amount of focus that mm-hmm. he was probably getting with Eric Arakawa? I don't mm-hmm. know about that. Seth Moniz now, a good addition. He wanted to be on some more consistent boards too. But you can think outside of the box. When we look at Channel Island surfboards and what they've been able to do with Joao Shianka, mm-hmm. a lot of individual focus. And I think that's really attributed to his good performances and him even leading the rankings at one point of this year 
think balance is really important too, right? Like if you look at both the Mayhem and DHD teams, they have both men's and women's that are really collecting a lot of results. And the Sharp Eye team has great team riders on both sides, but you know they've been a bit hamstrung this season in terms of the hunt for Visla CT Shaper of the Year because Joanne DeFay, who's normally a very consistent performer, she was injured for a good chunk of the season. Yep. And as we talked about, Tatiana Weston-Webb, who is a title contender most years, she's had a really up and down year and hasn't put up the numbers for them as well, whereas the other two programs have been pretty consistent on both sides of the uh, the gender spectrum. You know, if you're looking right now at the rankings, we've got one event left. It's about 35,000 points separating Mayhem and DHD ahead of Tahiti and about 50,000 points separating Mayhem and Sharpie. It's Mayhem's to lose at this point. But again, 97,900 potential points left to claim both of these programs have a shot. Mitch, what do you think is going to unfold between these three programs in Tahiti and who's going to be on top next time you and I are talking? I'm still going to give the edge to Team Mayhem. I think there's uh, just too much to lose on their behalf, especially when you consider how much it affects uh, the decision to win the world championship at the end of the day, what kind of ranking you're going into at the Rip Curl WSL Finals. For Caroline Marks, she wants to finish as high as she can. Carissa Moore is number one on the rankings. I don't really see that changing mm -hmm. by the end of Tahiti. But on the men's side, you look at Yagodor and the significance of just remaining within the top five, especially with you know, three surfers already clinching their spot. You have number four, Joao Shianka, who's basically a foot in. You want to be able to remain either number four or five. You're going to surf in the first match anyways. But just outside of it, you look at Team Pizel too. John John Florence, he could easily be moving up a, a few spots and garner his first win in 2023. But I think for the top three teams, especially for DHD, you need to get good results from both Ethan Ewing and Molly Picklin. But Stephanie Gilmore is going to be the one wild card for me is she going to be able to break through and at least make it to the semifinals and have number five caitlin simmers lose out in the elimination round if stephanie is able to make the final i think she's able to garner enough points to at least move up dhd to number two that is a great point. I hadn't even considered kind of the motivating factor heading into the last event. Because as we've talked about this episode, there are some individuals that are locked in, right, for the finals. And the individuals who are locked in, I'm sure they still want to perform, but they might not have that same motivation as, as you pointed out, like a Yago Dora who rides for Mayhem needing to confirm his spot or a Stephanie Gilmore riding for DHD needing to crack in. So that's an interesting wrinkle that'll kind of go into these rankings heading into the last event. You know, a couple other observations from South Africa. You mentioned Sarah Baum, local wild card. She collected a fifth for Smith Surfboards, which is uh, Graham... Um, Smith, uh, Jordy's father's label. And then Channel Islands, you know, I think we talked about this, but Channel Islands is probably as storied a board program as you're likely to find. They've had an interesting rebuilding year. We've talked about it a lot. I think with the likes of tour sophomore Zhao Xianka's rise to the pointy end of the rankings and plenty of off the books requests from non-team riders <laughs> for the CI Pro and CI 2.0 Ferrari models, it's been a good year for them. Um, I'm sure they want to be up at the very top. I'm sure they want to be competing for pole position. But it was just awesome to see Lakey collect another win for herself just because she's such a good surfer. I think she's surfing better than ever. I think the board she's on as well have actually taken her surfing to another level. And I think, as she said, you know, it's a confidence game. Like, at some point... 
she was like, man, am, am I moving on? Am I getting generation, generationally shifted out, even if I'm feeling like I'm surfing better than ever? And I think she proved to herself um, that she still has it. She's still a contender for that world title. And I think that's a great thing for Channel Islands. Anything else that you noticed um, board-wise from South Africa, Mitch? Well, the, just to add on to Lakey's performance, her first victory since 2019, too, which is incredible when you consider how elite she's been over the time that she's been on the championship tour. And you look at her top five finishes over the last few years. She's been out of contention this entire year up until this point. Moves up a couple of spots. She's number six going into Tahiti. She has a good shot. She's riding a fever, I believe. That was an old trusty board that she's been riding for the last few events as well. But I feel the Channel Islands, to me, especially coming out of South Africa, with her win maybe uh, joao's performance didn't look as as good as he wanted to he lost to Mm cano in the round of 16 but to me personally i think the channel Lions is the team that's probably won the most out of 2023 when you look at what they went through over the last few years losing so many team riders especially jordy smith and kanoe garashi i think they've risen to the top again even having a small amount of surfers on the championship tour i truly feel that they're coming into their own I own a happy every day. It's one of my favorite boards. I think it's a board that works in every kind of condition. And you look at the CI Pro and the CI Two Point Pro, those are excellent boards that work at most of these point breaks and just beach breaks that a lot of these surfers are going to on the championship tour. So to me personally, I feel like CI has risen to the top. And if we have to give a dark horse performance in 2023, it has to be to the CI team. Interesting. It'll be interesting to see how we look back on that a year from now and being like, were they rising and falling or, or did they stay exactly the same? You know, heading into our final event, the Shiseido Pro Tahiti presented by Outer Known, it's Team Mayhem up front and with Darren Hanley Designs and Sharp Eye Helm by Marcio Zovi uh, trailing and looking to get in there uh, before the dust settles at the end of the road. It's been very exciting. It's been an awesome inaugural year for the Vistla CT Shaper rankings. We're going to take another quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com 
code the lineup fifteen one five. Welcome back to the lineup. I'm your co-host Mitchell Salazar here with Dave Prodan. And Dave, let's get into our funnest segment of the podcast. And once again, thank you everybody for riding in to at the lineup pod. If we don't get to your uh, question today, we'll do our best to respond in our direct messages as we always do. Dave, let's get into our first question from at DanJC264. Could the pressure of also qualifying for the Olympics be an obstacle for the final five surfers? That is interesting. Yeah. So the, the WSL championship tour is a tier one qualifier for the Olympics. So depending on how the surfers finish in the rankings, they are potentially provisionally qualified for the Olympics. You know, I, I, Mitch, this is probably a better question for you. I have not competed anywhere near this level <laughs> in surfing. I, I would imagine though, that it's not, a huge obstacle for the final five surfers. Cause I think the, the through line is like this platform on the championship tour. These are the best surfers on the planet. If I want to be anywhere, whether it's competing for a world title or making my Olympic team, I just have to surf my best. I have to get my results. And that's, and that, that doesn't matter whether the Olympics are here or not. It could be a bit of a distraction, um, but it could also be a support mechanism where a lot of surfers are getting a lot more attention from, you know, where they come from. They're getting financial support. Um, and, and that can go a long way, I think, in terms of training, in terms of economic support. So I, I wouldn't consider it an obstacle. I'd say a distraction at best and potentially even a positive for a lot of them. But, but Mitch, but what about you? Because obviously you've competed at these levels. When something like this comes in, is like another element or another target. Does it throw you off or is it, are you still focused on the first thing? Personally, I'd be focused on the world championship right now. And especially if you're making lowers, but I like that you mentioned the word distraction because you look at number four, all the way to six on the men's championship tour rankings, Joao Chianca, Yagodora, mm -hmm. and Gabriel Medina, all three Brazilian surfers, Felipe's already clinched his spot, so he's the one that's already in. But that's going to come down to whoever's able to do better at lower mm -hmm. trestles. So considering Gabe's track record there, how many events he's won, how well he's done recently there, I'd say watch out for him. But Joao Chianca's had an outstanding year. There's a 6,000-point difference between him and Yagodora, four and five. So I really think that the decision's going to be made on finals day. Yagodora and Gabe Medina, I think those two people are going to be competing for the last spot uh, for the Rip Curl WSL Finals. But don't discount mm. John John Florence right now either. He would be the second American male to qualify um, for the United States as well. Jack Robinson, you know, I feel like his chances are done. But on the women's side, I think that's that's true. Because you look at Molly Picklem, she's already in. So is, um, is Tyler Wright. Mm. And th they're secure. So I think the, the goal should always be to qualify for the Rip Girl WSL Finals and get for the World Championship. Because if you're a world champion, nobody can deny you the spot that you're looking for for the Olympics. So I think that should be your entire motivation. Couldn't agree more. Okay. Our second question from at Jack Ho Ho Luck. Do you believe <laughs> do you believe there will be any alternative ways to qualify for the C T tour like Ultimate Surfer in the future? That's a good question. Um you know, as someone who is involved in that project, I I think it it was something that 
we had a season of it, right? And it happened in the pandemic year too. So, you know, I think people's mileage on that program varied. Um, but at the end of the day, I kind of look at it as like, there wasn't, we weren't able to do anything else, you know? Um, and that's not to say that if we were, we wouldn't have been doing Ultimate Surfer either. I just mean, it was nice to have something in some kind of platform to watch surfing on during the pandemic year. Mm-hmm. It didn't actually qualify people for the tour. The The award was a few event wildcards. Um I would be interested in other ways to qualify. I don't think a show like The Ultimate Surfer is going to happen where people are qualifying for the tour in the near future. But you also have to understand that in that pandemic window, there was the redesign of the three-tier system, right? Where we, we created the calendarization between the championship tour and the challenger series. And then we regionalized the, the qualifying series. And you know, I, I think out of all those changes we've made, the best feedback I get consistently, even by people that are maybe not so big on the WSL, is that they really <laughs> like the Challenger Series. You know, I think that's probably the most unimpeachable change we made, where we separated these things where people were having to break the bank just to travel around the world and do all these QS events, which you would know intimately. Um, and now you can develop your skill set in regions, save a ton of money, um, decide whether or not you feel like you have it to move to that next level. And then you have sort of a six or seven event tour in the Challenger Series that's more premium locations, a, a, a more stable set of surfers, and it creates kind of an easier understanding of like, okay, who's in the mix? right? You're not having someone come from nowhere because there was like a dozen different QS events that no one was paying attention to. They shoot up the rankings. It's a very clear kind of um, pathway to the championship tour. And I think that's one of the best parts of the redesign. And I don't think we're going to change that moving forward too much. I don't know, Mitch, but what do you think about kind of the qualification structure and the idea of alternative routes in the future? Well, I think if we were to do Ultimate Surfer Season 2, that person should get a wild card into the Surf Ranch Pro, Mm. not into any other event. I'm cool with just that event particularly because that's where they did well. That's the only place they competed at. But I actually want to propose something to you. You're the CSO of the company. You have a lot of say, I think, in, in a lot of things. And somebody that I fully respect, too, I feel like the World Pro Junior Champion should get an automatic spot on the championship mm. tour. I feel like that person should directly be able to qualify for the CT. They earned their spot on the Challenger Series, but hear me out. I feel like with the level of town, and especially the event that we had at Seaside in January this year, it, there was no doubt in my mind that one of those people are eventually going to qualify for the CT. And I feel like if you just give them that that moment right then and there, and they're able to make it post-cut in the first five events, it goes to show you that they're there in terms of their surfing and their competitive savviness. So um, that's the one thing that I think we should point out a bit more. I think the World Pro Junior Champion should get a spot onto the championship tour immediately. What do you think about that, Dave? I like where your head's at. I I do think the WSL Junior Championships is unquestionably the most prestigious junior title and has been for decades. And, And I think you're right. I think you look at the pedigree of past champions And all of them have gone on to make an impact on the world stage. Many of them have gone on to win world titles. I think the carrot right now for the World Junior Champions of automatically being seeded onto the Challenger Series is a huge deal. You know, I do think that that shaves off potentially years of you trying to work through your regional qualifying series to get a spot. Um, I'm a little bit 
I'm a little bit on an, of a no on getting a full wild card onto the tour. But what I would like to see potentially, if there is space, is the World Junior Championships either happen, you know, end of the year, start of the year, right, December or early January, within weeks of the start of the CT season at Pipe. I'd rather see them get their spot on the Challenger Series and potentially a trial spot or a wild card spot into Pipe. And I think if we see that play out in a few years and those junior champs are making immediate impacts on the CT, then you can kind of consider elevating that even further. But I don't want to discount the value for a young surfer to go, I've proven myself against the world's best junior surfers on the planet. I am a WSL junior champion, and now I'm already on the Challenger Series. Um, I, I think that's a huge thing for a lot of surfers. I'm cool with that answer. I'm cool with that answer. I think if if you have it at the end of the season rather than at the beginning of the season, you're able to get that person or grant them a wild card or at least a spot on the trials. I think that's a perfect opportunity. And if they're able to shine right there, we might have a, a story just like Baron Amiya had in 2022 as well. Next thing you know, he's qualifying through the CT. So could happen. I, I like that answer. So um, our third and final question, Dave, from at AC Condon. You think we are going to have an Ethan Ethan Ewing versus Felipe Toledo final? Oh, well, it's a great question. We just had one. It was awesome. <laughs> I'd take I'd take in a Felipe Ethan final everywhere forever. It was so good to watch. I um geez, it's interesting, right? Like I I think that what we saw that I thought was really interesting between year one of the Rip Curl WSL finals at Lowers and year two was how much of an improvement the surfers that were there for year one made in year two. And someone like Ethan Ewing, who wasn't there in year one, I think even he would say, man, I, I wasn't ready for the moment in year two. You know, he, I think he underperformed based on what people expected of him. I think he is... He's, he's a young surfer, he's a super smart surfer, and he's a super humble surfer, despite being how good he is. And I think he's someone who learns. You know, I think he's like, I've got to work on my backhand. I'm going to go out and do that. I've got to go work on my barrel riding. I'm going to go out and do that. I've got to add more, you know, fin releases and air game. I'm going to go out and do that. And I think when it comes to something like the finals... I would personally be surprised if we saw him have a similar performance this year that he did last year. I think he's going to go in there knowing that he's been there before, knowing what happened the year prior and going, I know how to perform my best. I think honestly at that event, it's mostly a head game, right? Because all the surfers are so good. There are never any more stakes than there are on that single day of competition with the world title on the line. And I think the surfers either rise to meet it based on their psychological strength or they shrink away from it. And I think with someone like Ethan, it wouldn't surprise me to see him up against Felipe uh, this year. But it's hard, man. Like it's, it's hard being he's number two right now. We'll see where he ends up before the end of the year. It's hard waiting at the end of that train track and watching maybe seed number five. Maybe it's Iago, maybe it's Gabriel, maybe it's John, maybe it's someone we haven't talked about. Start winning and building momentum and steamrolling to you, knowing that you haven't competed all day and you come in cold, that person comes in hot. It takes even more psychological strength at that point to get through that person and get to the final. But the advantage, of course, is that you're not burning out your energy having to surf all day. You know, you're conserving it, you take down your challenger, and then you meet Felipe in the final. I think it's very probable, um, but I also think anything can happen. I don't know, Mitch, what do you think? Is it going to be Felipe and Ethan in the finals this year? 
Well, I know it's intense when you start banging your table and <laughs> you're getting into things. I'm like, oh damn, Dave's super into it. But um, he I, is I, a good surfer. Hot yeah, take. All right, good. Yeah. But they all are. I mean, you look at how dynamic the tour is nowadays and how good everybody is from you know the number one in the world all the way to number 15 there's really no separation in terms of the talent i i just think it's who who is ever able to really put things together when it comes down to wearing a jersey i feel like felipe's been able to do that the last two years and if you look at the rankings there's very little to no separation between number two and number three both ethan ewing and griffin colapinto have forty-seven thousand mm. plus points there's around 300 points separating them between second and third but i think it's going to come down to whether or not griffin colapinto is able to withstand the pressure of competing at home we look at his track re- record there as an amateur one of the best to ever do it him and kolohe and dino i would have to say the best two amateur surfers at lower trestles but when it comes to the pedigree of competing of ethan ewing he has a world pro junior championship he's one of the challenger series level he's one of the ct level now many different times and he's also finaled many different times this year I think it's his best competitive year so far. And even if you look at 2022, he was very dominant in many events as well. But I still think that Felipe would edge him out in the final. I think it would have to come down to the waves being very good. And if Felipe is able to combine the air game with the rail game, I'd still give the edge to last year's Brazilian world champion. It's the point, right? Like for as good as Iago, Zhao, Griffin, Ethan, it's been the point of this whole podcast. And to paraphrase the... Uh, true detective season one quote you know like a lot of dreams you know there's a monster at the end of it right and that's felipe toledo right now he is the best surfer on the planet and anyone that gets there is going to have to face him it's going to be intense really appreciate everyone that wrote in and at the lineup pod mitch thank you so much for doing this these are always the highlight of my week um look forward to seeing you soon and uh yeah let's all get ready for tahiti and hope the swell hits yeah, and uh, remember the Wallach's U.S. Open presented by Pacifico coming up next week as well. So tune in for that. It's going to be a long event, but going to be a fun one. Stop number four on the Challenger Series. Really looking forward to it, Dave. Hope we get some swell here in Huntington Beach. I love it. I will catch you down in Huntington Beach, and I uh, cannot wait to see everyone surfing. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Congratulations once again to Lakey Peterson and Felipe Toledo for winning the Corona Open J-Bay, as well as to Matt Biolas and Mayhem Surfboards for retaining their number one spot on the current Visla CT Shaper rankings with one event to go. Stop number 10 on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour, the Shiseido Tahiti Pro presented by Outernone, will determine the WSL Final Five, who will compete for the world title at September's Rip Curl WSL Finals. The Shiseido Tahiti Pro will commence on August 11th. Before that, though, we have stop number four of six on the 2023 WSL Challenger Series, the Wallex US Open of Surfing presented by Pacifico at Huntington Beach starting this weekend. The Wallex US Open of Surfing will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is executive produced by Jed Pearson, Tim Greenberg, and myself. Produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the Juaneño native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next Tuesday.
WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.